Uh, But let's jump into part two of a four-part series called Life, Money, Hope. Last week, Pastor brought us an amazing message and an amazing concept called Beyond the Numbers, and that we need to get a grasp on the numbers as they relate to money and our life, as they relate to earning, spending, saving, investing, and giving. But what's even more important is that we get a right perspective on what happens behind the numbers, on really what's going on with those numbers, and that is calling, contentment, God-dependency, stewardship, and generosity. And that is such a game-changing idea because when we think about money, we think it's all about the numbers. We think it's all about how it works out on paper. And, and we forget to think about the spiritual ramifications, the character ramifications, what God is trying to do in our lives. And, and we think it's all about money when really it's how it affects every area of our life and affects us spiritually. And that's why we're talking about it at church, because money is spiritual and it affects our life. The theme verse we've been using is Haggai 1, 5 through 7. And uh, that's pretty amazing because how many know it's hard to find some love in Haggai, right? But, uh, but check this out. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. And I love this phrase, give careful thought to your ways. So if you are going to fix anything in your life, it starts with how you think about it, how you frame it. Every action is predicated by a belief. Every action is predicated by a, a belief. And that's what we're talking about in this series He goes on, you've planted much and harvested little, so you're trying, you're working, but it's just not working. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. And if life has gotten frustrating in this area, maybe we need some new thinking. Now, we very, very rarely talk about money in the sermons at Rockbrook because probably, much like you, we don't like it when all churches talk about is money. But this is a major area of our life, and we've got to recognize that. And Jesus talks about it. The Bible talks about it. We're commanded to talk about it. And it affects every area of our life. Billy Graham sums this up so wonderfully in a statement where he says, if a person can get his attitude toward money straight, It will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. And I couldn't agree more. It's one of the keystone areas of life. I remember as a young man just coming to the realization that you're not going to kill it in every area of life. You You can't just win. You can't become excellent in every area of life. But what are the areas that if you could kill it in that area, if you could become super disciplined in that area, if you could become godly in that area, it would bring everything else up, that it would touch every area of life. And this is absolutely one of those areas because how we handle our money affects our health. It impacts our marriage. It impacts our time. Now, we're also talking about this subject at this point in the calendar because as we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas, we like to, as a church, ramp up our generosity. So we like to do uh, what we've done all year, but we like to ramp it up. And, and we'll talk about that next week, about our plan as a church to uh, bless others outside the walls of Rockbrook, uh, to touch people's life in a great way. We like to do that 
uh, locally uh, with local causes and, and ministries. We like to do it uh, nationally uh, through some national organizations that we support and a church planting, a church planting network, and then also internationally. Uh, but we'll talk about that plan next week. But we also talk about this preceding this season because in this season, in this holiday season, is where we maybe go above and beyond or where we dig even a deeper or darker hole that we can't find a way out of. And honestly, I bring you this message in hopes that we get some godly principles ahead of some of that and avoid some of those traps. Now, the plan for today's message was to talk about the dangers of debt. Not all debt is bad. Uh, Most of it is. Almost all of it is. Uh, But for a lot of us, we've gotten into a debt cycle that has many of us trapped. And so many pastors and churches, my dad and I were talking about this, that they, they, all they do is they tell their people to do more, and they tell their people to give more, but they never help them. It's like, help them first, because people aren't stingy. People are strapped. Believers have the spirit of generosity in them because they have the spirit of the living God in them. And it's not that they don't want to give, it's that they can't. They don't know how. They don't know how to prioritize their life. They're strapped. They, don't, they can't make it work. And so we constantly end up telling people to do something they can't do. And I want to give you a message of hope and freedom to help you find freedom in every area of your life. And, and this one's so important because if you get this right, it has the potential to straighten out every area of life. Now, when you think about this, this area of debt, a lot of it's birthed out of the fact that we have a lot of wrong modeling and a lot of wrong thinking. Now, there was a day when you, if you went to the store and you didn't have enough money to buy a certain thing, you would give the store like a hundred bucks to not sell it to somebody else. And then you'd go back every month and you pay a little bit more, pay a little bit more, pay a little bit more until the whole thing was paid for. And then you got to take it home brand new. And that process was called layaway. And I see some of you being like, ain't never heard of no layaway. What are you talking about? If you want it, take it home. If you want anything, you can buy anything. And so what we do today is we take it home now. And then when the final payment is over, you can't even find the thing. Or it's stained. Or it's broken. It's not brand new. You're over it. You paid it off, but you're long over it. And that is called consumer debt. And that's a problem. It's a problem financially, and it's also a problem because God wants you free. And we think, well, yeah, God wants me free from my sin and free from hell, and, and, and he wants me saved. But no, he actually wants you free. He wants you to have freedom in every area of your life. But I'll tell you, this message today is so transferable. It is so transferable because it's going to reach into your life and relational issues. And and you could really apply this message to any situation you find yourself in. So today's message is broad. It's not only about money. It's about life. It's about hope. And almost all of us, maybe you find yourself in a desperate situation. Maybe you find yourself in a dilemma And maybe you don't. Maybe you say, no, I'm in no dilemma. I'm fine. Well, save your notes because dilemmas happen. And the first thing you have to do when you're in a dilemma is you've got to talk about how you got there before you talk about 
how you're going to find your way out. And so I want to deliver this to you through the vehicle of Jesus' most famous parable. I know you've heard it. We've preached on it several times. It starts in Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Dad, I wish you were dead right now. And I say it that way because I want you to understand the arrogance and the pride with which he was saying this. He's saying, I'm done waiting around for you to die. I want your whole estate right now. Give me, give me my share. So he divided his property. The man did what he wasn't supposed to do, but he did it to teach him a lesson. He divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living, in living that doesn't matter, in fruitless, fruitless gains. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. Now, natural law and the devil will make sure that there is a day where there is famine in your life, famine in your land, where the choices we make have a day of reckoning. And that may sound terrible, and we pray that such and such and won't happen, but honestly, God uses it. And sometimes it takes a famine for us to wake up. Sometimes it takes a storm, a hard time for us to wake up. And really, I mean, that's what I think about the financial crisis in our nation and the state that our nation is in politically. In some ways, I think it's helpful. I don't like it. I don't like seeing people hurting. And I don't want it to happen. But some, in some way, when we go through a storm, a famine, it's when we go through the storm that we either find out if we're built on the rock or built on sand. And I think it's helpful when we see what's built on sand and what's built on rock. And, and when the rock's left standing, it's the rock of Jesus. And, and we know that that's where we ought to build our life. But I, here's the warning. We don't have to let it get to that point. And the reason I'm talking to you today is to save you from a life built on sand so that when the storm comes, you can have a life built on the rock. But there is a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. So um, he, he tried a worldly solution before he tried a biblical one. Who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. How many know everything that the world offers always ends up with pigs? <laughs> and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when you look into that story, when you look how he got into that mess, it's the same way we get into the messes in our finances, in our marriage, in our emotions, in our relationships, in our conflicts. And it always has the same progression. So let's write this in. The first part of the progression is we believe something that's not true. We believe a lie. Write that in. We believe a lie. And your enemy has one weapon, and that is he'll lie to you, and he'll convince you of something that's not true true. So with your finances, he'll convince you that something's not true. So you can have it now. This ain't that big a deal. You can do it this way. He'll step into your marriage and he'll say, isn't he better than what you've got? Isn't she better than what you've got? And he'll tell you the grass is greener on the other side, but fail to mention that the grass is fake. It's not growing. There's nothing to it. It's plastic. 
It's not real. And there are so many lies and myths when it comes to our money and a lot of bad thinking. And we believe some lies and we need to come back to what works and God's way works. But why do we believe the lies? Why do we so eagerly enter into the lies? Well, if you study it, whether it's a secular study or a biblical one, it always comes back to the same thing. And it's nothing new. It's that we're self-absorbed. People are self-absorbed. We want what we want. We deserve what we think we deserve. We need what we need. And we just think about ourselves. And at the end of the day, there's a, an uncomfortable biblical word for that called pride. And, and if you look at the seed of every bad road we end up on, maritally, morally, relationally, financially, the beginning of that road is a haughty spirit. And something inside that thinks, I deserve it, that I should have it, that I need it. And really, it's a seed of pride. And the reason I'm bringing that to you is to show you how to stop it from happening. And part of the genius of the progression is knowing what causes it and catching it early so you can stop it. And so pride goes before. A haughty spirit goes before. So how do you keep from destruction? How do you keep from falling? Humility, contentment, simplicity. I mean, when, when you have that, there's nothing the devil can do to lure you into lusting for more. And it's this one simple thought. Pride goes before. A haughty spirit goes before. So you just back this verse out and live a life of humility. A man on his face cannot fall from that position. If you don't want to fall, if you don't want destruction, then humility. And there's a phrase that uh, we've been introducing to our team, the people who serve in ministry here, the dream team, our worship team. And we, we've got a sign up in a room. We've got a sign back here backstage. It says, it's a privilege to be on this stage. Thank you, God, for choosing me. It's a privilege to be on this team. Thank you, God, for choosing me. And quite honestly, it's a pride check. It's saying, wow, it really is a privilege. You could have chosen anyone. And the last thing I need to do, the last thing you'd need for me to do is to say, I deserve this, to think more of ourselves than we should. And one of the things about doing bad things or people who do bad things is that we tend to hide the bad things that we do, right? And so they're already done before we see them. But what a person cannot hide is pride. And I'm not talking about boldness or I'm not, I'm not talking about like a satisfaction and a job well done. I'm talking about thinking of yourself more highly than you should. Having a haughty spirit that says, I deserve, I deserve and that's why we encourage you, you know, have people in your life that, that can tell you, I, I see pride. I, I don't want you to go into destruction. I don't want you to fall. And having people in your life that you've given permission to say, you know what, I, I, I feel like this is headed to something because I see pride rooting up because a person can't, can't hide that. But if you don't, then the next step, and this is what the prodigal son did, is if we let that prideful spirit play itself out, we engage in self-destructive behavior. And the reason we end up in places we don't want to be is we let our lives go undisciplined. And this is why 
uh, in our 201 event in Growth Track, the second step of Growth Track, we encourage you to have habits uh, of a disciple because we are convinced and we've seen it happen that if you will just work those habits every day, a little bit every day, if you'll just read your Bible, even if it's just for a little bit every day, if you'll give, if you'll be connected to church family, if you'll enter into godly relationships, if you'll pray just, just a little bit every day, that it, it keeps you disciplined. Because if you let your life become mismanaged, mismanagement will always lead to something self-destructive that you never wanted to be in. And when you're in that self-destructive state, you say, well, that's just who I am. Can't help myself. I'm just, what I'm doing is not hurting anybody. Who am I hurting? What harm can this do? It's not that bad. It's not that much. The Bible comes along and says there's a way of life that looks harmless enough. I love this phrase. It says, look again. Look again. And that's why you're in church today, because you looked again. And you looked around and you saw, okay, what the world's doing is they're building their life on, on sand. And you looked again, and you found a rock. If you want to avoid the pit that so many fall into, then you back yourself out of these progressions and steps. And if you ignore that one, it goes to stage three, and it happens in every scenario, no exceptions, and that is we isolate ourselves from those who can help. And we say things like, um, well, I don't need them to know. I don't want them to know. I'm embarrassed. And it's easier to wear the mask than it is to deal with it. But so many of us that from time to time, really, we put on masks and we don't let people know what's really going on. And, um, and we say, well, I don't owe anyone an explanation. We say, they don't understand me. I don't need them. No one knows how I feel. I can do this on my own. And I bring you those because those are ones I've heard this week. And they have some, some reason why we can't why we have to isolate ourselves. And the Bible says, whoever isolates himself seeks out his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And if you ignore that stage, then you end up in the thing that you're trying to avoid. And my job today is to make sure that you stay in freedom in every area of your life. And we'll bring you message after message, never asking anything from you, but really, truly wanting something for you. We want to help you find freedom. If you don't, you find yourself in a dark place. And that's what the prodigal son did is, is he found himself in a dark place. Write that in. That's the next stage. And you believe you're in a trap with no way out. Psalm 88.8 says, you have made my friends to loathe me and they have gone away. I am in a trap with no way out. So this message today is dedicated to anyone who morally maritally or financially feels this way, that, that there, you feel like there's no way out. And God designed this service today to you to tell you that that is a lie. The truth is that the Lord is not far away. He's near. In fact, if you're in a dilemma, he's nearer. The Bible says that he's close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He sees those who have lost all hope. And it gets God's attention when you're in a desperate situation. I mean, it's like this. You're, you're always pretty close to your kids. But when are you really close to your kids? When they messed up? When they're in a dilemma? 
And you tell them, don't you? You say, this just shows you how much you need me. And honestly, that's the way it is with our Heavenly Father. When are we closest to God? When we need him. When we realize that we really need him. And he helps you, you get through it. And some of us have lost all hope. And if you've lost all hope, this message is for you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, all you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. And God will never let you down. He will always help you come through it. You can get through this thing. We've heard from so many of you in the last few months that that you don't see a way out. You've lost hope. You feel like you're past the point of no return. But I'm telling you with God, there's no point past the point of no return. That's the whole message. That's the whole hope that you are not too far gone. You could have run the wrong direction your whole life, but with God, you are only one step back. You're never too far, and it's never too late. I'm telling you, God solved your biggest problem when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he can handle anything. Everything else is cake. I am about to preach myself happy because I want you to know that there is no point past the point of no return. There really isn't. Let's look at what happened with with the prodigal here. He says, when he came to his senses, and that's why I'm convinced all we've got to do is bring you messages of hope and life, and the rest of it works itself out, I promise you. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I love that. Because it means father was on the front porch waiting. And God's waiting. And he's saying, is this the day they'll come to their senses? Is this the day they'll get it? Is this the day they'll realize the mess they're in? Is this the day they'll realize that I have compassion and want to help. It says he was filled with compassion. God is not filled with anger towards you. He's filled with compassion for you. And he's waiting for you to see it. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And if we're in a situation where we feel like there is no way out, here is the way out. There's always a way out. God makes a way where there is no way. And the first step in the way out is to acknowledge the reality of where you are. And a lot of the battle is saying, it's just saying, here I am, and just admitting it. And sometimes we just get so stubborn, and we put on a facade, and we put on a mask, And we make uh, everyone believe that we're doing fine, we're doing okay, all the while we can't sleep at night. And we're surrounded by people, yet we're lonely. And we're surrounded by people, but yet we're really living in isolation. And all we have to do is come to a place where we bring out the truth, where we acknowledge the reality of where we are. And one of my favorite biblical truths is that God never expected you to get it right. He never expected you to be perfect. He really didn't. That's why Jesus came. 
That's why he offers us a way. That's why he offers us the truth. Here's what God expects. He expects the truth from us. He knew we couldn't do it. What do you do as a parent? You tell your kids, you're going to mess up. I messed up. You're going to mess up. Don't run from me. Don't hide it from me when you mess up. Tell me the truth. Acknowledge the reality of where you are. Tell me the truth and I will help you out of it. And God is the same way. He says, come, come to me with the truth. There's a famous psalm that David writes after he has committed murder and adultery. It says, I've been out of step with you for a long time in the wrong since I was born. What you're after is the truth from the inside out. So what did God really want? Not perfection. He wanted the truth. And some of you don't even realize that all you have to do is bring the truth, tell the truth. Now, the Psalms are actually not um, in your Bible in chronological order. So they're categorized and ordered a different way. But if you were to read them in chronological order, Psalm 32 would be the next Psalm after 51. So... David um, has committed these sins, and he didn't tell anyone, and he kept it in hiding, and actually he was found out, and someone, someone called him out on it. And then he writes this beautiful confession in Psalm 51, and then in the, still in the same state of mind, reflecting on his sin, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. And he lived a life in isolation. And you got to let it out. And I give you this promise that God is not expecting perfection. He's not looking for perfection at this point. He's looking for the truth. He solved the perfection problem on the cross. And he's looking for you to be honest with him. But it's not only about a feeling. You've got to do the next step. And that's number two. You got to develop a plan of attack. And too many have a feeling in church and then do nothing about it. I thank God for the experiences we have in here. I'll tell you, honestly, they're not enough. And that's why pastor does an incredible job of of bringing a practical message. It always comes to a point with, all right, here's what you do now. And you got to do it. You got to develop a plan of attack. But how many times do we have this tremendous feeling in a church service and we say, I'm going to go do this, but we, left the, we let the afternoon go away. We let the week go and then we don't do it. And that's why you got to do the third step. You got to do it now. You got to get the steps going. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So number three, you do it now. And then number four, humbly ask your father for help. And that gets it back to the root cause, where, where it all began. Now, many wonder, how do I get in the favor of God? How do I receive God's favor? And it's through humility. First Peter 5, 5 through 7 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Can you believe it's that easy? Can you believe when you come to God, it's that easy? It's you humble yourself. You say, God, I need you. But the danger is that there is a storm that will come and reveal whether you're on sand or on the rock. And it really is. You're, you're either humbled 
or you're humiliated. And God says, I'm on the front porch waiting. Is today the day you will humble yourself? And if you will, I will come running to you. Let's pray together. God, we can't live without you. We need you. We humble ourselves before you. And God, I pray for the person who finds themselves in a dilemma today. That they would acknowledge the reality of where they are. That they would develop a plan. That they would do it now. And most of all, that we would humble ourselves. That we would not live in isolation, but we would humble ourselves before you. And God, I pray for the person in here today who has no hope, who believes there is no way out, that you would show them that you make a way where there is no way. God, I pray that you would lift them up, that you would give them peace and assurance now. God, most of all, we just want to live in the light as you are in the light. We want to live in your truth. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.